according to Goldman Sachs, about 300 million jobs globally will be replaced by generative AI. Generative AI is a group of technologies that has been categorized by the ability to generate text, visuals, uh, representations, and anything else based on large volumes of data. And so one of the most classic examples of generative AI involves ChatGPT, which came out late in 2022. And this transformative technology will have an impact on many of our workplaces and our lives moving forward. But what exactly is the impact? Because all of this fear about it replacing humans is not quite right. And so in this podcast, I'm going to explain to you why AI won't come for healthcare first and how to think about AI in terms of the healthcare industry and your role in healthcare. When we think of AI, there are many different kinds of paths we can take when talking about AI. AI being short for artificial intelligence. Now in the past few months, it has totally transformed the way we think of the potentiality of AI because of the intuitive function of ChatGPT. If you have not used ChatGPT, it can be a little bit scary at first to interact with a robot or with a chat tool that can deliver so much information to you. It can deliver a lot of different kinds of information pertaining to research, pertaining to code, pertaining to different things you wanted to know about. And there are certainly a lot of information out there that you can gather about ChatGPT. Now, we're going to take this conversation a step further and talk about the implications of AI and generative AI on specific industries, including healthcare. There are many different kinds of train of thought when it comes to new technologies such as AI. And the first reaction from anybody is, oh, this is going to take my job away. I'm not going to have a job. And this may seem like a natural reaction to new technologies coming out. But if we take it a few steps further, like I will help you today, then we can start to think about it in a deeper way. But first, will generative AI and its future iterations take away your job? Well, maybe or maybe not. Your role may shift and change, but this is how it has been for, let's say, the past 200 years to where any new technology has disrupted current ways of doing things in a way that makes it so that humans have to adapt to the new changing technologies. Now, the real question many people want answered is, is generative AI and AI in general going to be advanced enough to render humans obsolete? And this thought of obsolescence is really, really difficult for us to grab on an existential level, right? Because the question is, will any work that I do be obsolete in the future because a robot can do it better? And this harkens back to the story of John Henry, who was a person who wanted to outcompete a steam engine. 
But the moral of the story is that you can do so, but you'll die in the process. You can go on and read about John Henry if you'd like, but my thought is that if you try to outcompete generative AI, then you might be the person who does it and succeeds at a very, very high cost. And in the Industrial Revolution, many people were asking the same question. Can humans coexist with machines? And in this case, it was physical machines that produced things or that helped in the production process. And so, for example, the steam engine was revolutionary. The cotton engine was certainly revolutionary. And then on and on it went from the combustion engine to power generation to many other technologies that we now enjoy today. So this question of will I be obsolete is certainly not a new question at all. But how do we address it now in this new age where it is not physical things that we have to coexist with, but it is certainly a mental capacity and or it involves higher knowledge kind of work. And this high knowledge kind of work is difficult to grasp because before we could just get an education, we could learn something and then apply it. And so if you wanted to be a a programmer, then you would go to a four-year university, you'd learn how to code C++ and Java and Python, and then you'd come out being able to deliver pieces of code and software to different organizations and companies and grow your career. But what happens when a little tool like ChatGPT comes out and it has access to all of the GitHub data where you can ask it to generate a piece of code for you in order to deliver that piece of information? Well, your very, very expensive degree in computer science just got upended in a short six months. And so you can see this now in education to where now teachers are having to grapple with how in the world do I grade something when I have a belief or I think that this could have come from generative AI? That's a whole nother question that I will answer in the future about how to deal with, let's say, the moral implications of cheating and plagiarism in a world of AI. But I'm going to go back to some research that I looked into about this podcast. Goldman Sachs came out with a helpful perspective about the impact of AI in different industries. And so one of the things that they measured was just AI exposure over time. And this is where they came up with the 300 million jobs globally will be replaced by AI in the next five to seven years. So this is about 3.75% of the population which is a little bit under the current population of the United States. Now, we can look and say, okay, wow, 300 million jobs is a lot across the world, but you can certainly spread out 300 million jobs across the globe. But what we find out is that they are, these job replacements are specific to specific industries and countries and regions that are already using, let's say, knowledge work on a daily basis. And Goldman Sachs research explains that about 25% of all occupations in the United States have an exposure to AI in the next 5 to 10 years. And the question is, okay, that 25% is, is fine across the board, but it is certainly higher in some industries than others. It is certainly higher in some 
specific occupations than others. And so the real question is, is amongst all the occupations and all the industries, what will be the specific places that will have the highest exposure to AI? And they explained a few different occupations within many different industries that will have exposure. And so I'm going to now list off a few different occupations that will have exposure. One is general administration. So general admin tasks, um, scheduling tasks, communication tasks, anything that can be replaced by a chat bot will probably be replaced in the next five to 10 years. There are other roles that will have exposure such as management, finance, quantitative finance, mathematics, engineering, architecture, all of these different roles. Now you can outsource to an AI that can generate a mock version of what you're looking for, or it can dig in the data to give you an agglomeration of the things that you are looking for. And so suppose if you're an architect, what you could ask your generative AI tool to do is to render you a building that looks like the Roman Colosseum. I don't know why I chose the Roman Colosseum. You can choose something else, right? You can say, give me a building that looks kind of like the Empire State Building, but would look well in Madrid, Spain. And so Generative AI can give you a rendering of what that could look like as a starting point for you developing the drawings and architecture for that building. There are many other examples that I can go through, but what I will say is that there are specific occupations that have more exposure than others. And so how do we work with those exposures? So here's the full list of industries and or occupations that will have exposure to AI at the greatest level. First and foremost, you have office and administrative support, which is about 46% of exposure or the share of the industry that is going to be exposed by AI. Then you have legal, which is 44%, architecture and engineering at 37. You have life, physical, and social sciences at 36. You've got business and finance operations at 35%. A community and social services at 33%. You've got management at 32%. Sales and everything related to sales at 31%. Computer and mathematical at 29%. And then it drifts down from there. But that gives you a general idea of the specific areas that are exposed to AI. One of the things I did find interesting is that not every country will have the same level of exposure. So globally, you have an exposure of, let's say, 18% globally, but the countries that will have the highest exposure to automation by AI is places like Hong Kong, Israel, Japan, Sweden, the United States, UK, and Singapore, and generally the European area. The reason why is because these areas rely on knowledge work as the core of their industries. And so it makes sense that these would be exposed to automation by AI in very significant ways. Countries like India are at the very, very low end of being exposed at, let's say, 12%, while Hong Kong is nearly 30% exposure to AI. What this means is that knowledge work is going to have the highest exposure, which will now disrupt the highest income earners in any country 
where you have high AI exposure. So if I was, let's say, the president of any of these countries like Israel, Japan, or Sweden, I would be tempted to say, well, I don't want to use AI because of the impact it will have on the jobs within my country. I would say fair enough, but the problem is is that there are many other countries that want to develop AI tools and will advance their own technologies without input or without any competing technologies from your own developers within your country, right? And so, for example, there's now this conflict or let's say this tension between China and what they want to develop with AI and what the West, the United States, and the Euro area wants to develop with AI. Some of it coincides, but some of it certainly doesn't, right? Because there are different motivations towards using AI in everyday life. And so if let's say a Sweden or Israel says, hey, we don't want to engage in this game. Well, somebody else is going to dominate that game and then you will spend many, many years having to catch up in the future. So it's kind of like a use it or lose it situation, right? And this even goes down to the personal level because if you know, hey, I know that my colleagues and coworkers are using ChatGPT or generative AI, then I now need to use it and learn it in order to advance my own skills in order to not get behind. And in a way, you think, well, do I have a choice in this whole matter if I'm already going to be pushed towards this technology to use it in order to compete in the workplace? And the answer to that is yes and no. You have a choice in how you use it, but it's going to be there and it's and it's now introduced in a way that is usable for a good portion of the American and in the West. There are many different problem sets that we can talk about when it comes to AI, but I would like to hone in on the question of why AI will not come for healthcare first. And so if you get anything from this podcast, I want you to remember one thing, adoption. There are some industries and some individuals that will adopt this technology faster than others. And it will be to their benefit and to their detriment to adopt it faster. There is certainly a greater level of risk in adoption, but there is also a potential reward for faster adoption. Some industries will encourage a faster rate of adoption, while other industries will encourage you to slow down. Well, I did have some very interesting data that I will relate to you about adoption of new technologies for healthcare. But one of the things I would like to start off with when it comes to general propensity for adoption is to think about adoption in terms of the bell curve of adoption over time. If you haven't ever read the book Crossing the Chasm, it is a very classic book about technological adoption. And in Crossing the Chasm, they essentially have five different categories of individuals that can adopt technologies at different stages. So the first people to adopt any technology are called the innovators. And they are the people who were the first ones to adopt the iPhone when it came out. And they were willing to wait in line for a barely working prototype of the original iPhone. These are the kinds of people who wanted the first Tesla off the lot even though it was not fully tested 
and or not 100% reliable. These are the people who always want the latest technology out there because they want to see what it can do. After the early adopters, then you have your early majority. And this is a good portion of the population who want to adopt a technology because it's tested, it's proven, but yet on the leading edge. And so let's say now for EV or electric vehicles, you now have an early majority of individuals who are now driving electric vehicles where 10, 15 years ago, it was a very small portion of the population. These are the people that have seen a specific technology that has been tested over a given number of sufficient years in order to adopt it. Sometimes it's years, sometimes it is just months, depending on how quickly that technology takes hold. After your early majority, then you have your late majority. And these are the people who are late to the game, but not extremely late to the game. So these are the people who waited five, seven years to get a smartphone. These are the individuals that after their old flip phones went off, then they got new smartphones. So these are typically the people who will let old technology phase out and then introduce new technologies as they have phased out older technology. And this late majority is one in which if you get a technology to the late majority, then it has the power of staying relevant for the foreseeable future. And then lastly, you have the laggards. These are the individuals who will only adopt technologies if they are ever so inclined. They're the last ones to adopt any technology and they are the ones that sometimes can do without. And in the healthcare industry, there are many people within this category for many different reasons. A lot of it has to do with demographics. Others have to do with just age in general. Sometimes it has to do with lifestyle or any given number of reasons. But the laggards will always be one portion of any different group that is adopting new technologies. Now that we have this overview out of the way from crossing the chasm, I'm going to explore an idea about which industries have a higher propensity towards adopting new technologies. First and foremost, you need individuals within the industry who want to test and tinker with new technologies and have the ability to do so within their own work. Secondly, the size of firms within the industry makes a big difference. And so you, if you have an industry with a lot of small companies or small organizations, then they tend to compete and they tend to try to improve at a faster rate. Also, the intensity of competition matters a lot. And so you have some industries that is very cutthroat and that every single edge or every single advantage matters in order to get more market share. And related to the intensity of competition is regulation. So if you have a high regulated industry, then you will generally have low competition because that regulation makes it so you have to have larger organizations that meet regulatory requirements. The third is just the average age of the firms in the industry. If you have a lot of young firms in an industry, then that means that they are created and that they can succeed in different ways. 
Also, the average age of firm within an industry is an indicator of the size. So if you have many new organizations, then the size will tend to be smaller than large conglomerates that dominate an industry. In healthcare, there are many organizations that have lasted a long time and that have merged with everybody else. And so, for example, Blue Cross and Blue Shield has been around for a very, very long time in many different forms. Adna Health has been many different iterations in the past. You can go on and on about healthcare not being one where you have many small organizations competing. Usually, they have a scope or a market share based on a region or an area, and they usually guard that very, very well. What this means is that in order to have any new technology introduced, it has to be introduced through different windows of availability, meaning you have to go through different hurdles in order to adopt a new technology, such as regulation requirements, the goals and motives of the management team, you have essentially a top-down approach towards adopting new technologies instead of individuals at the core of the organization tinkering and playing with new technologies. To give you an example of an industry that is almost the total opposite in terms of adoption is the gaming industry. Usually they're the first ones to explore and test new technologies and see how they work in specific games and within user experience. And so AI within gaming has been used for almost 20 years. I can remember playing games against computers in the early 2000s and before, right? And and you can play chess against a computer. You can play different strategy games against a computer. Any single person game will have a component where there are non-player characters or NPCs who play as a computer or are controlled by the computer. The gaming industry has also adopted other technologies such as tokens or currencies to be used within that game. They have also used virtual reality and or augmented reality for specific games and the list can go on and on. So many different technologies have been explored first in gaming and then have been propelled outwards into other industries. And there are many industries that fall in the middle, right? And so you can get something like manufacturing to where it is manufacturing of equipment that is not necessarily having a high propensity towards adopting AI because of what they do. Other industries, let's say like forestry, for example, I'm sure that they've been doing forestry more or less the same way or the same method for the past 50 years. You may have bigger trucks, you may have better chainsaws, but forestry is essentially just cutting down a tree, taking it from a hill, and then taking it to the mill. And so there are many industries that are not touched by new technologies, but there are many different industries in the middle that have a high exposure to AI. In order to understand where healthcare lies within the adoption bell curve, I did some research and found some statistics from Statistics Canada, which is the statistics arm of the Canadian government. What they did was they asked different businesses or organizations what technologies they planned to adopt within 2023 or within the next year. So they gave a list of different technologies 
by industry that they plan to adopt. And so there were some industries that had a higher propensity for adopting technologies than others. As a result of this list, they were able to determine which industries had a higher propensity towards just adopting any technology at all. The technologies involved software or hardware, robotics, automation of certain tasks, cloud computing, collaboration tools, security software tools, software or databases, uh, technology involving anything digitally for online purposes, any other technologies or none at all. And so as they surveyed all of these different organizations, I went to look at what were the results for healthcare. And within healthcare, an astounding 74% of firms did not plan on adopting any new technology within this given year. What this means is that 74% of firms within Canada that are involved in healthcare do not plan on adopting any new technologies. I tried to find other industries that had a higher percentage of adopting no technologies and the only industries that were higher was agriculture, mining, and construction. There may be another one that I'm missing here, um, but for the majority, healthcare was one industry in which a good portion, 74% of the firms, were not planning on adopting any new technologies. So if you have roughly 74% or 75% of healthcare organizations not adopting technology, what are the 25% of firms adopting? And so within the data that Statistics Canada provided, 11.6% of healthcare organizations are adopting cloud computing, 11.5% are adopting collaboration tools, and 13% are adopting security software tools. Outside of that, there are other technologies that are below 5% of organizations, but those two are the big ones, cloud computing, collaboration tools, and security software. So within Canada, one-fourth of healthcare organizations are adopting technologies involving cloud computing, collaboration tools, and security software tools. So then I go back to the question of how far back is healthcare behind the curve of other industries? Like, for example, finance and insurance, they have higher adoption because within Canada, 62% of firms don't plan on doing anything um, but, for example, for professional, scientific, and technical services, only 50% of firms don't plan on adopting any new technologies. And so the propensity to adopt new technologies for professional, scientific, and technical services are certainly higher than that in healthcare. So how far back is healthcare? I would say that if we take this data from Statistics Canada, Healthcare industry, let's say in North America and many parts of Europe, is about five to ten years behind other industries. And the reason I say so is because cloud computing and collaboration tools were introduced widely into many different industries in 2012 and 2013. And security software has been at the forefront for many different industries, including banking, for the longest time. 
And so if we are now just getting to this place within healthcare, at least for Canada, then what we can start to think about is how far back is generative AI from impacting healthcare in a meaningful way? I would say probably until 2030, 2032. But there's also another factor that we haven't even considered, and that has to do with population and population health. We have to think about the kinds of customers and or the patients that we have within the healthcare industry. See, healthcare can be different than other industries in the sense that their main customer is typically in the late majority or the laggards just by definition of age, meaning that the majority of people needing healthcare services at the highest level of intensity are individuals who are, let's say, over 50 years old. What this means is that they are not likely to adopt new technologies as they come out. They are often reluctant to adopt any new technology and will essentially only adopt it if they have to in some cases. Now, I'm not saying that the entire generation of baby boomers is like this, but there is certainly a large portion of this generation that does not want to adopt new technology. And who would, right? I mean, nobody really likes change, but it happens anyway. Nobody really wants to change the way they do things from what they're used to if they don't have to change. And so this is why healthcare is further along the curve than even we think it is today. And so if we think generative AI will be adopted, let's say in the next five years by most industries, I would give healthcare an even longer timeline for adopting new technologies such as generative AI. So this isn't only a matter of industry adoption, but it has to do with who that industry serves. If this industry serves individuals who are late adopters, then it will be natural for the industry to tend towards those late adopters. As an example, in 2010 to 2011, if I wanted to pre-order the latest MacBook or the latest iPhone, then I could walk into any Apple store, they would greet me with an iPad, and I could put in my information into the iPad in order to be on the wait list for the new technology coming out. Now, if I walk into any hospital or any majority hospital today, they are not going to hand me an iPad for me to put in that information. They will do what they always did, which was hand me a notebook with a piece of paper. And I will have to tediously write down every single piece of information, even though I have done this for every single clinic that I have ever been to. It's like they have no idea that I have ever been to a hospital before because I'm entering this information in over and over and over again. If I walk into another Apple store, then they have my information right there and they can pull it up and it's not a problem. You may say, well, in the healthcare industry, we have solutions for these things. And I say, yes, that's true. But oftentimes these solutions are very, very clunky and they do not provide a seamless user experience like I would have expected when I walk into any technology store anywhere in the United States and really across the world. To give you another example, if I were to walk into a Tesla showroom, 
they would have given me the same experience that I would expect when I walk into an Apple store. But when I walk into a clinic, it is a vastly different user experience. And so you may ask, okay, well, when will healthcare catch up? And I will say it is catching up, but not as fast of a rate as other industries. And the reasons are those that I mentioned before. You have many large organizations, you have big regulatory hurdles, you have clients or you have patients who don't want to adopt new technologies, etc. All of these things add up to not being impacted by generative AI into, let's say, the next 5-10 years. So this leads me to my final conclusion, is that generative AI and AI going forward will impact healthcare, but it's not for this baby boom generation. It's for the Gen Xers, the millennials, and any other generation in the future. And the reason why is because we expect to have an interaction with technology that is different than the generations that came before us. And because of this expectation, then we're willing to adopt these new technologies because we've interacted with them in many different parts of our lives. And so if you think, hey, generative AI won't impact healthcare, I say, well, you just wait because once the baby boomers start to phase out, then this is when it will start to impact us at a very, very deep level within healthcare. Which leads me to what happens with AI and automation in an aging population. Because as baby boomers grow older and as they phase out, then the next generations to come afterwards aren't as big as those baby boomers. And you could end up in a situation like Japan, which is where I will go in a future podcast. But for now, we're just talking about generative AI and the propensity to adopt new technology. Given everything provided in this podcast, I'm going to leave you with one final thought. And that is this, that adoption rate of necessary technology for surviving companies approaches 100%. In other words, any organization that wants to survive will adopt the technologies necessary to do so, and the ones that don't adopt those technologies will fail and they will go under. This is just part of the life cycle of a free market, and if a company wants to succeed, let's say in the next five, 10 years, they have to undergo a deep understanding of what technologies to adopt and when to adopt them in order to gain the advantage they need in order to succeed. For example, you don't see AT&T using the telegraph. You don't see Ford pushing out Model Ts like they did before. You don't see IBM pushing out large mainframe computers. And the list can go on and on. But in order for these organizations to succeed and to survive in an ever-changing environment, they had to adopt new technologies. Generative AI and any AI that comes in the future will be the same way. Any industry that thinks it's necessary to survive will need to adopt these technologies. The question is how and when and in what capacity These are questions that cannot necessarily be answered now, but they will be answered over time as this plays out. As I sign off, I would like to thank you specifically as a listener for keeping in tune with the podcast. 
we're wanting to at least publish one podcast every week and potentially two depending on our workload and what we have going on within the organization. So thanks for listening and I will talk to you later. Later.